Good morning. Always lovely to have such a warm welcome from Home Church. Oh, oh thanks. Thanks, I feel loved. Um, great. So, we've got a little PowerPoint. Uh, you can see that today we're going to be looking at Daniel, and I've actually got the next couple of weeks where we're going to be looking at this story of Daniel. But I want to just kick off. I don't know um, when you left home. Um, I don't know whether it was for university or for your first job, um, or what kind of made you fly the nest from your home. Um, you know, was it that you just moved around the corner um, in the same town or the same city, or did you move to the other side of the world? For me, um, I had just turned 18, and uh, I had finished school, and I was going on a gap year, and I was traveling to Brazil for six months. And um, I had a, a few kind of fellow UK travelers with me who were coming out to do a, a few weeks of mission. We were traveling around the country. Uh, we were doing a few weeks of mission. And then the plan was that they were going to leave me. They were going to come back to the UK and they were going to leave me there on my own, which, you know, sounded like a great adventure at the time when you're 18. You're like, woohoo! Like, you know, I'm going to go and travel across the other side of the world and I'm going to go and be there on my own. Um, but it was probably one of the best and the most worst experiences of my life, because if you can imagine it, you're thrown in as an 18-year-old, you're thrown into a country where you don't speak the language, a completely different culture to my own. I actually remember, I mean, this is just a sob story, I remember like getting there and, and going into the house that I was staying and the lady that I was staying with was absolutely lovely, so it was nothing about her. But I remember standing in the bathroom and just going, what have I done? And like just bawling my eyes out thinking, I'm like literally 6,000 miles away from home. I don't know what I've done. I, don't, I can't understand anyone around me. I don't speak the language. But I was going to study social anthropology at university, which is all about studying cultures and people. So the grand idea was that I wanted to immerse myself in a new culture. Um, I didn't want other UK people around me because I didn't want to lean on them to sort of, you know, I wanted to learn the language and be forced to learn the language. Um, and, you know, little did I know, but it was a, actually an anthropologist methodology called participant observation. I learned that when I then got to university. I thought, I've just done that. I've just done an immersion experience. I've just done participant observation for six months. It was awful. <laughs> no. But no, it, it, was, it was a terrible and amazingly enriching experience of my life. And the reason I tell you this story um, is because today we're going to look at a story of Daniel, who at 12 or 13, scholars reckon 12, 13, 14, uh, was forced to leave his home, so he didn't get a choice, you know, he wasn't choosing to go on a gap year. He was forced to leave his home um, and go and live 800 miles away from everyone he knew and everything he knew. And I don't know what you were like at 12 or 13, um, but, you know, I look at this story and I think, wow, what an incredible young man to have done everything that he did at such a young age. And so it's just an incredibly inspirational story that I want us to uh, look together at today. And I'm going to basically give you a bit of context to the story of Daniel, and then we're going to look at chapter two together. We're going to run through the passage and take a few verses at a time. So basically the context is the city of Jerusalem um, has fallen into the hands of the mighty Babylonian army. And Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, had taken a handful of young men, the best um, young men, and had taken them from their homeland and, and brought them to Babylon 
which, as I said, was 800 miles from their home. And he enrolled them in an intensive three-year training program, um, which was basically designed to make them into really loyal Babylonian bureaucrats. So they were going to be in positions of influence and power, um, but really what they needed to do was they needed to adopt the culture, they needed to adopt the language, they needed to get on board with kind of what the culture was. And unfortunately, the Babylonian culture, if you know anything about it, was pretty dark and was pretty crazy because um, it wasn't really a culture you wanted to, as a Jew, you wanted to be indoctrinated um, with. Babylon was, uh, Babylonians were polytheists, so they um, believed in many, many gods that ruled over different parts of the universe and they um, offered sacrifices to them and they worshiped them and they looked to them for guidance. Um, they were into astrology and dream interpretation, not the type that we know. Um, they were into divination and the occult, pagan myths and magic. And so Daniel, at 12 or 13, you know, could, could be quite an impressionable lad at that age, was thrown into this culture and said, right, do you know you're going to be an intensive program, you're going to learn Aramaic, you're going to study all this literature, which was probably, let's face it, things like pagan myths and rites of purification and all this dodgy, dark stuff. Um, but that was all part of, you know, get into this culture, learn it, come and be part of it, and come and be in a position of influence in it. And it wasn't just studying text. It wasn't just like learning the language and studying the text. It was also um, kind of like they were given, you know, they were given a new identity. Um, I don't know if you remember in, in, in chapter one, but basically um, they're given new names. And there's a real significance in this because Daniel's name is um, in Hebrew, means God is my judge. So, you know, totally pointing to God. And um, his new Babylonian name, which was Balthazar, meant made Bel, which was the um, chief Babylonian deity of the time, made Bel protect the king. So, you know, it wasn't just, uh, okay, immerse your mind and your brain and everything in this culture. It was like, okay, do you know, we're going to take your whole God-given identity and we're going to make you um, really point towards the gods of our age and not the false gods rather than the God of heaven. But we learn quite early on in the book that Daniel exercised incredible wisdom and was really able to walk this tightrope walk of partial cultural assimilation, like living in the world, but really without compromising his faith or moral beliefs. I incredible. And, you know, we've heard the phrase said, you know, be in the world but not of the world. But really, this, this, this young man was absolutely living that out. He was walking that, that fine line of saying, okay, do you know, I'm going to be in this, but I'm going to influence this. Um, culture, and I'm going to bring God into this culture, and I'm not going to compromise my faith when it matters. So it's with this understanding of the culture that I want us to turn and look at Daniel 2. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to open it. Um, it is also going to come up um, on the screen, and we're going to read through the passage, but as we read through it, um, we're going to stop at points and just um, talk about what that means for us. So Daniel 2, verses 1 to 2. In the second year of his reign, King Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. 
Now, let's just stop there for a second, because basically this full group of men, so the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers were people that the king had put around him as advisors in the matter of, of, of state. They were closely connected with kind of the, um, you know, the, the practice of the day, the religious practices of the day. So they were, you know, into all of the, the dark stuff that we sort of have referred to earlier. But they claim to have the ability to predict the future and to be able to interpret dreams. And what we can see here is that, you know, the king basically wanted people around him. And he recognized his need for guidance and wisdom and revelation. But he really was looking for it from the wrong places. And I guess it made me think, you know, like, you know, people around us in our world today are looking for wisdom and revelation. They kind of know that they don't have all the answers. Um, but, you know, how many of our friends or people that we know are looking um, at it, uh, looking to it from, from, the wrong, from the wrong places? You know, actually the rise of, um, you know, uh, tarot cards and uh, people going for sort of dream interpretations from the wrong places, like really, really massively on the rise. Um, but we're living in a culture where people are hungry for uh, revelation and for wisdom and for direction and guidance in their lives, but they're looking uh, to the wrong places for it. So we go on and it says, um, so basically the, he, su he, summoned, he summoned the wise, uh, the, the wise men of the time. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. I mean, poof, pretty harsh. Um, but if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell the servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I'm certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will t change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. So what is going on here in this back and forth? It's like this like... You know, it's like tennis, isn't it? It's back and forth. It's like, tell me the dream. Will you tell me the dream and we'll interpret it? No, you tell me the dream. No, you tell me the dream. Um, there's such a back and forth going on here. And basically, we've got to understand that these men claimed that they could interpret dreams, but they never claimed that they could tell you what the dream was that you had had. Like, they couldn't say, I know exactly what you dreamt of last night. This is what the dream is. And this is the interpretation. They couldn't do that. But for me, this, you know, what the king is saying here, he is, he's basically saying, I want the real deal. I want to know that you have wisdom and knowledge beyond yourself that will really reassure me that you've absolutely got the right interpretation from my dream. If you can tell me the dream and also tell me the interpretation, I'm going to know that this is the real deal. But, you know, this this puts these, this group of guys in a complete quandary. And they know, like, at this point, they know that they're going to be cut into pieces and their houses turned into rubble if they don't do this, okay? So let's just think about the pressure that they are under. But basically, they turn to the king 
probably with sweat pouring off their faces, saying this, verse 10 and 11. It says, the astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Okay, so they are saying, look, you know, you've got us. We cannot do this. This is completely impossible, and what you're asking of us is completely unfair. And, you know, the, 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 the consequences of it are completely unfair because this is completely 100% impossible. We can't, we can't do it. And, you know, this last verse, it was like, you know, when you're reading the Bible, sometimes they're just verses that, like, pop out at you. They just go pop, don't they? It's like, woof, I needed to see that. And this verse 11 really did that for me as I was reading through this passage again. It says, you know, no one can reveal to the king, no, no one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Ha ha, what about us today? <laughs> is that true? You know, this is one of my favorite verses in this passage because as I read it, I thought, wow, how different is it for us? You know, they're sitting there going, the, the gods do not live among humans. And we are sitting here today going, the Holy Spirit lives not just among us, but in us. Isn't that incredible? I mean, just take that. I know we talk about it all the time. We talk about it all the time in hope, but let's just sit and take it in for a minute. I'm, I'm standing here and you're sitting there and the Holy Spirit has made his home in me. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. That same power that raised Christ from the dead is living within us. Just think about that for a minute. And 1 Corinthians 2 verse 11 says, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? And that's what the king was saying. You know, that's what they were saying to the king. Who can know what's inside you except, except you? No one can know your thoughts except the man himself. But it goes on to say, in the same way, no one can know the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. The Spirit knows the mind of Christ. And that same Spirit is living within us, which ultimately means we have access to the mind of God. And, you know, what, you know, what amazes me in this is that, you know, as people who live in the knowledge that God's spirit is within us and that his spirit is who is connected to us, you know, knows the mind of Christ. How many of us would have the courage to do what Daniel does in this next verse as we look at it? So verse 16, it goes on to say, Oh, no, I haven't got it. Sorry. Verse 16 basically goes on to say that he goes into the king and he says, King, give me a bit more time 
but I will interpret your dream. Because he knows that he, ha- he, 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 he loves God, he follows God, and, and he knows that God has given him the gift of dream interpretation. He knows he's, he's given him the gift of w- wisdom and revelation. And so he says, okay, give me a bit more time, and I will go, and I, and I will come back with an interpretation um, for your dream. Now, we may not all, sitting here, we may not all have the gift of dream interpretation. Some of us, some of us may do. Some, some of us may have that gift. Um, but I think the challenge for all of us is in a wider sense um, of being able to bring God's wisdom and insight and revelation and solutions to the world that are looking for the answers. For a world that is hungry and looking for wisdom and direction and guidance and who know that they don't have all the answers But as a people, we have those answers as we look to God and as he reveals those to us. We all have friends who need advice in personal circumstances that they're facing that are challenging. You know, we may have a boss who's seeking wisdom um, on, you know, decisions to make and is looking to the team to sort of help guide them. You know, we, we can be the answer to that. Or we ourselves might have difficult strategic decisions that are going to impact businesses for months and years to come. You know, whether it's a personal situation, a friend looking for advice, right up to needing to make a strategic decision in one of the blue chip companies that we're working for that's going to, you know, whatever, whatever it is, we can look to heaven for the answers to these things, for us, for our friends for our colleagues and for those around us, because we have access to heaven's solutions. We have access to heaven's wisdom. We have access to heaven's insight, and we just need to tune in and connect. And that's exactly what Daniel did. He, we, we learn in chapter six that um, Daniel used to um, pray three times a day and, and it talks about that in chapter six. But, you know, his practice, his spiritual discipline and practice was that he would pray three times a day. Um, and, but on top of that, he, he, he doesn't just pray himself. He, let's pick up in verse 17 and 18 and see what he does. So let's just remember, he's promised the king that he's going to interpret his dream. He hasn't got the answer, but he's promised the king that he will interpret his dream. He has faith that he's going to get that answer. And then I love this because we pick it up in 17 and 18, and this is what he does. He says, then Daniel returned to his house and explain the matter to his friends. I won't try and attempt to say who they are, but his friends, we all know them. Um, and he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, there are two things that I want to pick up about Daniel's response here, other than his incredible faith that he promises that he's going like, to bring that answer back to that king. The first is that he goes home and he shares the problem with his friends and they seek the Lord together. Okay, so he is, pray- he's, he is praying on his own three times a day. He's got that kind of rhythm going. But he, in this matter, he goes back home and he shares this problem with his friends and he says, do you know what? I need you to stand with me. We need to stand in this together. Let's seek the Lord together for the answer. And I feel like God shares this point every single time I come up, come, come and preach. And I don't know whether it's because we just all really need to hear it time and time again, or whether it's maybe just one of my life messages, probably a bit of both. But I feel like, you know, God is challenging us once again to say, who do we have standing with us? 
we're not called to do this on our own. Who, who have we got around us who we can go to and we can say, do you know, I, I need you to stand with me in this, in this problem that I'm facing or this challenging situation that I'm in. Will you stand and pray with me um, together? And, you know, we, we've touched upon it throughout the year when we've been looking at, you know, one of our priorities for this year, which is discipleship. Um, we looked at Hebrews 10. Jan and Mark did a great job of launching kind of the discipleship stuff. And we've got really exciting things coming later in the year. So, so watch this space and get involved. Um, but Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so Daniel does just that, and he shares it with his friends, and he says, he says, you know, let's stand together for the answer, and let's pray together. So I guess my question again to you is, who do you have around you? Who can you ask to pray with you when you need some help with something, or when you're facing a challenging circumstance? discipleship is one of our priorities this year and there's going to be opportunities as I say later in the year to plug in to getting 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 someone who's going to stand alongside you and mentor you and um, keep you accountable for things and and you know and, and see you grow and see you go you know walk in everything that God has called you to walk in and the second thing that as I looked at what Daniel did as he went home um to, to find a solution is that in that crisis, he, he absolutely decided that he needed to spend the night praying and asking God for the solution because he knew that, that that was the only place it was going to come from. And I guess it really challenged me because I thought in a crisis, when I'm looking for a solution to a problem, and I had that actually just this week. It's funny because I was reading the passage and I was thinking, huh, I am facing this situation just this week. In a crisis, do we use our own resources and power to solve the problem or do as our automatic response to tune into God and say, God, I need to hear you for this. I think it's funny, why is it so often that particularly under time pressure, you feel like panicking and desperately trying to find the solution to the problem is better use of time than praying and asking God about it. I don't know whether it's just me. I hope it's not just me. Um, but, you know, it feels like this human reaction that we just like, that we feel like panicking and, tr- and just spending every last minute trying to solve the problem is going to be a better use of time than taking some time out and saying, God, I really need to hit, like, I really need you to speak into this. And this week, I, as I say, I was going into a conversation with a client uh, for work. It was a really tricky situation. It was this conundrum that was just so challenging and we'd been pondering it for weeks and weeks and weeks um, and I'd been mulling over it for, for weeks and I had been praying and asking God to give me the solution and I was going into this meeting and I was thinking, right, I've got 15, 20 minutes. Um, I, I feel in my humanness, I feel like I need to use those 15 minutes to literally just use every last ounce to try my hardest to come up with this solution to this problem because the time is ticking and I've only got you've only got 15 minutes and I really really need to solve this and I thought do you know what I am reading Daniel 2 and that is not what that is telling me that is not what this passage is telling me. this passage is telling me to turn to God and ask him for the solution and so I thought right I'm going to spend these 20 minutes ahead of this conversation just praying 
and just listening to God. And you know, it was the best thing I could have done because I went into that conversation. I, pray, I just prayed, God, give me the keys to unlock this problem. God, give me access to um, heaven's wisdom. Proverbs talks about crying out for insight and understanding it, searching for it like, you know, jewels and, and rubies. And I said, I just did all of that. I did all of that in the spirit. I was just like, I, I'm searching for the answer. And the conversation was so much better um, we, we came to conclusions, we came to solutions to problems that I just don't think we would have come to if I'd used those 15 minutes to really just try and do everything I could to try and solve the problem myself. And so what, what happened? What happened? Obviously, this, this story ends well, and it says that in, ver in verse 19, you know, it says that that night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. God came through. No one could have known what had gone on in the king's mind except the king himself, and of course God. God knew, and God revealed the secret to Daniel of not just the interpretation, but also the dream itself so that he could go and give that to the king. And next week, we're going to pick up and see how the king responded, and we're going to look at other aspects of Daniel's life. But I want us to use the remaining time that we've got just to break into um, some small groups, if people don't mind doing that. Um, and I've got just three questions for us to look at. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. That was so sleek. You managed to like go just straight to the questions, Simon, sleek. Um, we've got three questions, which are... What environment have you been called to, and in what ways does this environment not reflect the kingdom? Okay, so Daniel was thrown into a culture that would totally did not reflect the kingdom of God. And I'd love us just to think about what environments are we in, that we are kind of living in, that we're sort of assimilated into the culture, but that really don't reflect the kingdom of God. So we need to be careful um, to, you know, to, to bring the kingdom to those environments. So what environments have we been called to? And what opportunities do we have to influence the culture and the people around us and show them the kingdom of God? So there are two questions we're just going to talk about together. And then I want you just to think in your, just to yourself, this is one for you just to take away. Who do you have around you who will stand with you in your faith journey? You know, who, who are you doing your faith journey with? Who's, pressing, who's pushing you forward to God? Who's standing with you? Um, who's praying with you in those difficult times? Um, and, yeah, and as I say, you know, if that's something you're hungry for, then, you know, obviously we've got great small groups in, in church that you can be part of. We've got um, stuff coming up through the year that you can plug into. So really do watch this space and, and listen out for those. So... Let me, just, let me just pray, and then let's just get into small groups for the, for the last 10, 15 minutes that we've got just to discuss those two, two questions. But let's just, let me just pray for you. Father, we just thank you for the life of Daniel. We thank you for what courage he had at such a young age to, to be in his culture, but to not compromise his faith and to really want to influence the culture around him and the people around him and point them to heaven and point them to you and your answers. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit lives within us and it's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead who is at work within us today. 
And Father, that the Holy Spirit living in us connects us to you and to the mind of Christ. And we have access to um, heaven's resources and heaven's wisdom and heaven's revelation. Jesus, and I pray that as we um, live our lives and Father, as we knock up into sort of um, situations where people are looking and hungry for wisdom and revelation, I pray that you would remind us that, um, that we can bring your wisdom and your revelation into situations that we're in. Thank you that you've made us um, your people um, and that you love us, Lord Jesus. Amen.